0: Hi, welcome to the Dan Bradbury podcast where turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. In this podcast, I'll bring you resources, tips, interviews, and lots more to help to grow your business and make it less dependent on you. In recessionary times, the middle gets squeezed. What does that mean? So in recessionary times... Generally, there's less money available, albeit right now it seems to be the most liquid recession in living memory. And when people are uncertain, so actually let's not talk about access to capital, when people are uncertain about the future, they're less likely to spend. But when they need to make a transaction, okay, sometimes people go, money's tight, I want the cheapest, so they negotiate harder, they cut out costs, so margins are squeezed, so customers may flood to the low-cost providers right? That makes sense. However, it's the middle that gets squeezed because actually when people are unsure, they need to see, feel a greater, this is recession growth strategy number one, certainty of success. And what that means and how that shows up or the strategy specifically is they flood or move towards somebody that they're highly confident can get the result, a designated bona fide expert in producing that result. So the word that I would use to describe this strategy is super niching. So think about the inverse, okay? So the inverse is in non-recessionary times when the uh, economy is expanding, typically companies diversify. They take on additional products and services, they go sideways, they get involved in different channels and they keep add, add, adding. And then when the economy turns, all of a sudden they're exposed. They've kind of homogenized grace. They're kind of like they're spread too thin. And if you're not top of mind, Jack Welch would say number one or number two in the industry, if you are not top of mind, absolutely this is what you do and you're top of mind for that marketplace, you're going to get your ass kicked. I've got um, investments and done a lot in the health and fitness space. There's basically only two fitness business models that do well. There's the low-cost providers the pure gyms of this world where it's 15 or 20 quid a month and they just pile them high, but they've got their costs down because they've got gyms that basically aren't staffed, right? It's got 24-7 video surveillance security measures. So the only reason they make profit is because they've got radical scale and centralised marketing, right? It's the IKEA of the gym industry, okay? That's one end. The other end is the uber-premium stuff, the premium kind of private personal training studios kind of top-end Where either the elite athletes or the people with money that wish they were elite athletes will spend disproportionately their high disposable incomes to get the very best out of themselves. So, premium stuff. So, as this relates to you, what does this mean? Sometimes, less is more. And actually, you'll make much more progress if you decide what you're going to cut off or what you're going to leave behind. This is perhaps the least comfortable of the three strategies. The other two, you'll go, oh, this feels nice and uplifting. So I, I did debate with myself, Will, whether I wanted to lead with this one, but it kind of works sequentially. I'd encourage you to think about What do most people do? If in doubt, look what everybody does and do the exact opposite and you're more likely to succeed. Because most businesses are getting battered around by this recession unbelievably and they're trying to hang on to everything. I'm not in favour of taking a massive risk and putting all your eggs in one basket. However, if it's in the right area, I'm in favour of focusing your energy. I'm in favour of saying, okay, this, this is where my success lies. Not trying to do everything and spread myself thin. So in the same sense, I put it to you that every single person in in the business world in the last 90, 120 days has gone, oh, don't need this cost, don't need this cost, cut this off, cut this off. In fact, has realised I can have less and still be as productive. I'm going to tell you as it relates to your product lines or types of customer you're serving, I put it to you, if you cut off some of those things, just entertain. Is it possible that what remains will get much higher levels of results? So that is the first strategy. So what I want you to do, just to reflect and say, if that were true, how might that show up? A different way of thinking about this would be 80-20 rule on my business. Are there certain product lines or services? If I said, you know what, I'm going to stop either altogether or just stop focusing on the other areas and all my energy is going to go on to growing this one product line or customer type. How might that look? as certainty of success. So if somebody's doing the development, uh, or they're doing their first one, or whatever, or they've had bad experience with that. They want to just know somebody can do the job well. Probably most have been in a situation where they've had to choose between two things that were, appeared the same on the surface, but one cost more than the other. And even though it seemed that the product or service was comparable, you chose the more expensive one. Why? you were after the certainty that they could drill the hole right right and you weren't confident that the cheaper provider you're going it's not going to be as good so reputationally if because birds of a feather flock together if these developers are going right who do you use who did you use oh yeah oh you had a great experience jill okay who did you we use Derek. fantastic referral systems so the people that are if it's not distinct right if you haven't got a distinct competitive advantage and the middles get the middle gets squeezed So the cheapest is that, oh, yeah, yeah, these are great value for money. But the only way you can make money by being the cheapest is if your cost structure is lower than your competitors. You can do the same job for less money. Otherwise, you're going to get your ass kicked. right? You're going to absolutely get. And for most small businesses, they can't because most of the cost savings are in significant scale. Right. So for most small businesses, it's going up towards the premium end. But just having higher prices doesn't help you. It's if people are willing to pay the higher prices. And what I think sometimes we forget is actually people just go, yep, I know you're going to do a great job. I've got confidence and I will happily pay the premium, right? So the other part in BPM scorecard that it ties into is preto clients. Who are the ideal clients? Is the product or service that provides 80% of the revenue or the profit, right? And there's this kind of, it's almost like a J-shaped curve. That it's that top 20% of clients produce 80% of the revenue. But often the top 20%, that 20% produces 80% of the 80%. 4% of the clients producing 60 plus percent of the profit or revenue or both. And often they're easier to work with. And yet we don't think about what does that look like? And by targeting down, it can be very fruitful. Let me give you an example, couple of examples. First one. Warren Buffett is the first person to say that if you were investing in the stock market, and bear in mind, investing in the stock market is just buying little pieces of companies, okay? So it's investing in companies. He says, if you don't know what you're doing, so to the lay investor, the non-professional investor, his advice is always specifically index trackers, which is an index tracker is buying a piece of every single share on the index just in by buying it in one place. Right? So he's saying that that's the only thing you can do if you don't know what you're doing, and that's where it's at. Whereas if you look at what Warren Buffett himself actually does, he's renowned for he can spend ages and not make any bets, just do the analysis and the analysis and the analysis. But then when he's happy that he's found the right one, he bets big. Don't get me wrong. It's still all relative. He doesn't like Berkshire Hathaway only invests in one company ever. That would be crazy. But in terms of proportion, he does enough analysis. And when you know what you're doing, he goes, That's, that is the company. That's the bet and bets wrong term. That is the trade. Focuses energy on that and he'll get disproportionate reward. But the balance is okay. You've got to have done your due diligence to know when to bet and when to hold back. And in my judgment, the difference is in the analysis. Right? So the Pure Gym Group. Okay. So I know, a lot, I know a lot about gyms. Their sector, the fitness sector, has been annihilated by the pandemic. Part of their diversification, though, wasn't going into other industries. It was being in other countries. So because they made an acquisition outside of the UK for the first time last year, they bought another gym group in Europe. And they did that consciously to diversify against, they didn't know COVID was coming, but against just any particular country. And because the other countries in Europe have opened up gyms more quickly, it's been really helpful for them. So it was a de-risking. But de-risking for them is not diversification of going, you know what, let's invest in hotels or tables because it's not their core competency. And the other, of course, de-risk is just cash. Because if you try to de-risk yourself by using your cash to buy lots of other things, and then you've got no cash reserve, the only thing that's killed any business in this pandemic has been running out of cash. The end. Even industries that have been stopped and it's going to stay shut for a long period of time, the only thing that will actually kill them if they're dead is because they've run out of cash. Because they couldn't cut the cost fast enough and they didn't have enough reserve. If I really analyse all my revenue streams, is the one of those revenue streams will open back up more quickly or are making more margin in or is going to be faster to recover. Or another question that you might ask and think about is, is there a certain customer type? So from all the places where I get customers or get business, is there a certain type of customer that actually is going to be less affected by this? And if I narrowed my marketing energy and attention on that demographic, it would yield much greater results. And it could be because that particular avatar is less affected or they're actually going to be more keen to buy depending on the business and the sector. They're the things that I would be thinking about. I'm not saying cut off nine out of 10 product lines and just do this one necessarily. But I am saying it's this type of customer who buys the premium packages, narrowing down on that, getting one customer 20,000 pound price beats getting 10 at 2,000 pound price. Great. I'm just going to focus all my energy on how do I get more of those higher level packages. The right idea at the wrong time is the wrong idea. Every single product that currently being delivered has a lifespan. It will die. It will change form. And it's the businesses that fail to adapt that'll get annihilated by what's going on, this recession. And it's the businesses that do adapt for what the market now wants are the ones that are going to triumph and have the fastest level of growth. Only every single time, in every single recession, in living memory. Hands down. Unarguable. Well, you can argue it, you just would be wrong. Training business. So if you're in training, you'll get this. If you're not, the analogy still fits. So if we go back five years, five years... Every quarter, I'm doing a conference in London for for between 500 and 1,000 people. Those big events, so said differently, the business back then had many millions more in revenue than it does today. Three million, I think, more in revenue. But the business today makes more profit than the business did back then. Okay? Why? I had a belief that was just wrong. And my belief was I did these massive conferences, which are brutal cost-wise, brutal to get people in the room. Like, it's just... A major time suck, overhead heavy, high risk, blah blah blah, and then from the back of it, that was my prospecting. You know, I, I, you know, I'm paying, I'm taking on six-figure costs to get a thousand people in the room at a hundred quid a head. I mean, it was ridiculous in hindsight um, for the risk, and ultimately that's why I had to get out of it. But I couldn't. I stayed stuck in it for five, ten years, because my belief was that's how you get the people to want to do things like Mastermind. Because from that, 10% will want to go on and do mastermind. And that's where all the money's made and all the margin's made. And the bit I enjoy the most. And so that's why I did the big events. And I couldn't stop that. But actually, that wasn't the problem. The problem was my thinking about... I I didn't have a better way to solve the problem. Because if you knew a way to fill the back-end stuff without doing the front, my bet is you wouldn't do the front-end prospect events. Because that's where all the work is. And that's where all the risk is. And that's where the least amount of money is. So... The thing that you need to think about is, okay, how might I solve this problem? I know how I did it and I could test it and actually I kinda go, it's quicker, it's easier, it's lower cost and it's lower risk. I get more of what I want. I look back at the me five years ago and I just, I'm not sure if I laugh or I cry, probably both. It was ridiculous and nonsensical. Super niching, strategy number one. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Three things you need to do now. Number one, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. Also, get on over to Amazon to get a copy of my latest book, Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity, Nine and a Half Steps to Improving Your Profits and Cash Flow. Also, join our Facebook group, the Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity community to connect with other business owners.